Welcome to the Fast Forward Podcast, the series dedicated to answering the challenges that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. People are in business to make a profit, so it's really vital that you know how much money comes in, when it comes in, and what money is going out and when. These figures are vital to potential investors, to lenders, and are one of the first things they will want to know about your business. So if you're perplexed about profit and loss, or baffled by the balance sheet, Don't worry, we have help at hand. Today's guest is Graham Nevin. He's a business funding specialist and founder of Tandem Financial Solutions. Graham, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. Graham, when we come out of school, we end up having to do these things in business that we were never taught to do all those years that we were sitting in the classroom. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you and what your job entails. Okay, I run my own business called Tandem Financial Solutions and the majority of what I do is based around finding funding for businesses. And that's everything from debt and equity. So debt where you have to pay it back, equity where you don't. However, I also work with a number of companies in terms of helping them understand their accounts better because it's strange how many people focus on doing the business but not understanding the implications, the financial implications, which is obviously what we're going for in the first place. Mm. To, well, most people are going to become rich and some people are able to account for those, those riches and some people aren't. So I try and help them understand what their accounts actually mean. It is a myriad of different aspects of, um, of business. Understanding that finance is incredibly important, not just for startups, for, for SMEs, for, for every type of business, but for people that are starting out, it can seem really overwhelming. Where, where is the best place to start and when should you start? It's a shame that it isn't taught at school, seeing as so many people go into business these days. And, and I certainly wasn't, I'm a little bit older, and I certainly wasn't taught it at school. I'd take as much support as you can from things like, uh, certainly within where we live in Greater Manchester, you've got things like the Business uh, Growth Hub, mm-hmm. who provide uh, some early stage business advice in terms of setting up companies and the implications of both legal implications, but also financial implications. I mean, So when you say setting up a company, are you talking about sort of going limited and yeah and and even so being a sole trader or being in a partnership i mean there are there are other issues there but i suppose in terms of understanding finance it's going to be difficult to learn everything about debits and credits and uh profit and loss uh and uh, profit and loss accounts and balance sheets but what i would say is if you can get a good accountant or someone who does understand finance that's probably the first thing i'd speak to someone i'd speak to everyone's got a friendly accountant somewhere mm. everyone knows someone who's generally able to give you a little bit of a uh, sort of introduction to it yeah and then what i would say going forward is to is to just not let it go because the more you understand the accounts the more you'll be better at doing what you do it's business. a relentless focus, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. It's dead easy to get away from the fact that you don't understand. As long as I know so many people who, because they've got money in, the, in the, their bank account, think they're doing well. But they, they don't know how much money they owe. They don't know who, who owes them money. Yeah. They don't know how much money they've made. They just know that they've got money in the bank account and think, oh, I must be okay. Um, that's kind of the approach I take to my number. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which is why I'm not running a business. Um, but what you were saying there, you know, talk to an accountant, but uh, a lot of the startups that we um, talk to are sometimes quite often pre-product and pre-revenue, but they're still a business because they're developing and evolving and they're, they're incurring costs. Uh-huh. So how early should they be looking at that and starting to account for those costs? Straight away. Because, I mean, from a pure tax point of view, in terms of being taxed on the, on the profits that you make, hopefully you do make a profit, mm-hmm. um, then it's right to, to, to make sure you collate every expense you have because well, I'm sure we'll come on to this, but, but in terms of your being taxed on the profits that you make, you want your, in some respects you want your profits to be as high as you can so yeah. you pay less of money. On the other hand, you want your taxable profits to be as low as they can so you pay less tax in a fair and legal way. And therefore you need to, co- you need to collate all the information regarding your business, so both mm. uh, sales and, and expenses. Yeah. Income, income and expenses. You do need to really understand. Yeah, sort of I do it costs, straight away. Cost delivery. Yeah, and 
again, without getting too technical, but depending on what you're doing, there are things such as um, R&D tax credits, research mm-hmm. and development tax credits. You, if you ultimately are going to get that money back from the government, which you can do in certain circumstances, you need to be collating that information so you can go to the HMRC uh, Revenue and Customs yeah. and say, this is what I did, this is what I discovered, uh, this, right. is, this is the investment I made to discover something, because you potentially that's quite a lot of money you can get back. So in answer to your question, as soon as you can, wait, straight away, not yeah. as soon as you can, straight away. Start, just start. 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 You touched upon there um, about something I wanted to ask you about next. Um, you mentioned there about sort of reporting as high profits as possible that startups like to be able to do that because it is that demonstration of mm-hmm. what people might term as success. But um, that could be deemed as a bit of a, ma- a vanity metric and so startups fall foul of all sorts of vanity metrics versus the real ones that they should, mm-hmm. um, if they want to be brutally honest with themselves, focus on. Could you explain to us a little bit about yeah. what those are I and think, why they should avoid them. I think there is a massive a massive focus on sales. And I think we all do it. Anybody mm-hmm. who sets up in business, when I set up in business, sales is, is everything because it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, oh, I've sold this, I've sold that. Um, but I have this phrase when I'm giving talks about, um, mainly when I'm giving talks about funding, uh, which is about profit is interesting and cash, but cash is everything. Yeah, um, cash is king. You can trademark that. Or queen. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> Because it is. I mean, you, I, I use an analogy a lot where you sell to Tesco's in January and you don't get paid till April because they take 90 days, because they can. Mm. But you've had to pay for your beans probably up front and you've had to pay for people to bake them and put tomato sauce on, et cetera, et cetera, and the cans to go in and you've got to deliver them, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. all this time, you've got no money coming in. So it, it's that it, profit is interesting, but you've got to make sure you get the cash in. So therefore, it doesn't mean to say you don't sell, but it just means to say you have to manage your cash flow because yeah. people go out of business because they don't make, uh, they, they don't have cash, not because they don't make profit. Yeah, profit is just an accounting thing. Cash is is is, is real life. Yeah, well, I think that's you've kind of just sort of touched upon sort of when is a sale really a yeah. sale? Yeah, you know, is it when you put the number on the board or is it when you get the money in the? Well, yeah, I mean, that depends whether you're talking to an accountant or you're talking to a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of when is the sale? A sale is a sale. Well, I mean, there's sales for all sorts of reasons in terms of, it depends on the who you're talking to. The HMRC define a sale as when you deliver a service. Mm. Because for that purposes, that's when, if, if you are, um, if your turnover is high enough to be registered for VAT, which is 85 grand at the minute, then um, you have to charge VAT. If it is a if it is a vatable service or a vatable product, and we, there are things that are exempt and there are things that are 0%, but assuming you have got a vatable product, sale is when you deliver that service. So you record it. I mean, a sale should be a sale when, when you record it, but I think your analysis of your business is more based on when you get paid for that ser- service, etc. Yeah. because the danger is you, you'll hear this phrase over-trading where, you're, where you're, 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 you're selling and selling and selling, and etc. But but underlying your business, you just you, you just aren't able to finance all those sales that to, to to convert those sales into cash. Basically. Yeah, that comes down to payment terms with your yeah. creditors versus your your debtors. Uh, your yeah. debtors, yeah. I'm just doing some work with a company at the minute. Who I'll be honest, clear away sewage. Nice. Okay. <laughs> But needs to be done. Got, yeah, it <laughs> needs to, needs it to needs to be done. They're, 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 and they, we're very they, grateful. <laughs> they clear sewage. They clear. Uh, I don't know where you've heard of fog, which stands for fat, oil, and grease, and that is collected in grease traps in in commercial kitchens and in in all sorts of places. Yeah. To Sounds make, delicious. <laughs> yes, to make sure you don't get those fat bergs that you get yeah. down the drains. Yeah. Um, and th- anyway, these guys do that. They're it, we're just doing some analysis this morning. Their their debtor days. Are 52 days from mm-hmm. the date of invoice. So from day one, 52. Their creditor days were 53 days. So they're pretty much in balance. The danger is if that, say, you're 90 days on your debtors, and some people only pay you in three months, and yeah. you're 30 days for your creditors, that becomes difficult to to finance. So just to clarify, the debtors are the people that are your customers, correct? Who owe you money? Yes. Um, yeah. And your debtor days are. It's a calculation based on your average sales per day. How many days worth of sale? Sorry, I should have said that. Shouldn't I? How many days of sale do you have in your debtors? So, so let's just say your debtor, your, your debtor days is 36, and on average you, 
you spend, uh, you, you sell a thousand pounds a day, mm-hmm. then then you've got thirty six thousand pounds of 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 debt tied up in in debtors, which is which is you know to be honest, yeah. not too bad. It's money due to come in. It's money due to come in, and and as long as your debtors are good, and we can again we can talk about that in terms of sale. Is a sale to a a poor customer, I poor as in mm. not a very good customer might not pay you yeah. a sale, or isn't it a sale? Yeah. Uh, but I've got another client who does sell to Patisserie Valerie, mm-hmm. and they sell raisins to go into various pastries and stuff like that. And they have what's called provided for that bad debt. They're not sure they're going to get paid. Mm-hmm. I know Patisserie Valerie has just been taken over by somebody, but yeah, um, but you the, might get two p in a pint. You might or get not get the full value of your yeah. of your debt. So again, a vanity thing. Oh, I've just sold to X. I've sold to Y. I've sold mm-hmm. to Z. But if as long as X, Y, and Z are good customers and will pay you yeah. according to terms then that's great that's a prop that's a really good sale best um, customers who pay up front yeah well that's <laughs> i guess that's the whole kind of move towards recurring service revenue models yes. and you know people paying in advance and all that kind of um great stuff but we'll come on to that in a second what was interesting about what you just said there is something that we heard from a previous podcast from Guy Weaver and um, from Pritchera, yeah. um, and he talked about he touched upon a, some of the new debt funding avenues and banks are now lending against debtor days, yeah. aren't they? Um, so I guess it kind of underpins about how absolutely critical that might be for your business, particularly if you do hit a cash flow. Yeah, I, I think I mean people who lend against debt tend debtors the, the mm-hmm. fact that you've got a debtor book there that is yeah. uh, it, it is a and I'm sure we'll get into assets and liabilities later on but but it, it is an asset it is simply it has value because mm-hmm. it is going to pay you a, an income um but the assessment of how much you can borrow against that is based on how good those debtors are are they mainstream debt? Are you people who have money so again using Tesco's as an example they are a good debtor you know you're mm-hmm. going to get paid it would be a the country would be in a mess if Tesco's couldn't pay their debts. Yeah. But also there's a thing called concentration that you need to be care- careful about because if you've got all your debts tied up in with one particular customer mm. and that customer goes bust, then you haven't got a business. I, again, using an, another story, it helped a guy who, who does flooring, uh, carpet flooring and um, vinyl flooring in lots of different places, had a huge amount of business with one particular con- main contractor mm. And it wasn't Carillion, but it was a bit like the Carillion situation from last year. Yeah. They went bust. He had, I think, 30%, 40% of his business with them. And it took his business down. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. went bankrupt. Yeah, he went, and he went personally bankrupt as well because he personally guaranteed some of the debts that he had. But then it was a good customer. He yeah. Made, you know, he did well out Up of it. Up until then. Up until then. Um, but there's always that danger of concentration that, that so much of your sales are, are, are tied up in one customer, not just if they go down I mean, from a debt point of view, bad debt point of view, but if they just change their mind and go somewhere else. Yeah. It's that risk register, isn't it, that you need to have as a business yeah. to understand? We all want lots of customers, Yeah, really. It spreads the lots risk. Lots of small, yeah. easy well, paying, lots of big good customers. paying. <laughs> yeah, lots of big customers. Yeah. <laughs> paying us loads of money. <laughs> lots and lots of big ones. Yeah. So let's get back to the, uh, the nitty-gritty. The profit and loss yeah. account. What is it and why is it so important? It is. A profit and loss account is a measure of how the, the difference between your, the income and expenses of the service or the goods that you provide. So, for instance, if you sell 10,000 tins of baked beans to Tesco's for £2 each, so um, £20,000, mm-hmm. but the costs that you've incurred to get those beans, and that will be the, the cost will be the raw materials, yeah. it will be the baking, it will be the tomato sauce, it will be the distribution, it will be the people that you needed to make it, it will be your the, the rent of the place that you uh, put it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the salaries uh, of the yeah, people the, that you have to pay. The salaries piece you have to pay, yeah. the marketing, et cetera, et cetera, all those kinds. So it's the difference between the income you get for your products or service and the costs associated with providing that good or service. And it's that simple. And generally, it is over a period of time. So it is a profit and loss account for the period. And it could be a, a week, it could be a month, it could be a year. I mean, generally, people report on an annual basis but you should do profit and loss accounts on a, on, on a monthly basis as a minimum. I yeah. meet so many of my clients do not do that. At best, they do quarterly. Some I'll do it at the end of the year. And why do you think that is? Because they don't really understand what they're doing. and they're, Or they've got an accountant who, who 
doesn't provide them that information or they don't provide that information to the accountant. What I would say these days is with things like, well, there are a number of different products, other products are available, but things like Sage and mm-hmm. uh, Zero and yeah. QuickBooks, etc. all those different people, um, online accounting has become such a, a more prevalent thing that there's no real excuse to not have your accounts done on a monthly basis. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's, that's my view. Why would, you, why would you not do it? So you know where you're up to. It seems like a pretty strange thing to almost hand ownership over to someone that has no vested interest in your business, even your accountant. It, it seems like you, sh- you know, should be core to what you do as a business well, founder. I, 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 I mean, I think it depends on what your business is, but I have people who, who they put the information in and the accountants do the, do the accounts for them, etc. And then the really good accountants who have got a vested interest then take time to talk through their accounts with the company yeah. um, and say, well, what about this? What about that? That Those are the best accountants. Unfortunately, they're not always easy to find. <laughs> and people, some accounts just, I just report. That's all I do. I just, I just make it all process. look. Yeah, I just, pro- the processes, exactly. And therefore they don't add, there's no added value, mm. really. It's, it's, it's a compliance thing, really. You know, you have to do accounts. By, by law, you have to produce accounts every year. So as a, as a good approach would be finding those, seeking out those accountants yeah. that add value more than just doing the actual yeah. transactions? I, people, it's, a, it's amazing how um, loyal companies are to accountants who don't do a good job, and yet they're not loyal to other things. They, ch- they change everything else. But interestingly, of lawyers, banks, and um, accountants, they tend to think, oh, I've always been with them, so I better stay and, and that. And they think it's too hard to change. Whereas I tell all my clients, if you don't like your accountant or you don't like your bank or you don't like your lawyers, change them. Yeah. Well, I, I, I helped a guy, it's a slightly different situation. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. No, it's the same situation. He was looking for his money for his business and he, um, he had changed three wives, but he wouldn't change his, <laughs> he wouldn't change his bank. Seriously, he'd been married three times. He'd lost two houses. I would to, say they cost him a lot. <laughs> he, he lost two bank. houses to two wives because we were trying to raise some money on his house and his house just lost my second or third house to my third wife or something like that. So, yeah. so he happily changed his wife, but yeah. would not change his bank, no matter what I told him. Yeah. So there you go. Well, I think uh, life keeps serving up those lessons that you <laughs> don't seem to learn from. Yes. Think, so. The profit and loss sheet, um, yes. turnover, does that appear on there anywhere? And what is the difference between that and um, sales? Well, turnover really is, turnover is just a, I think turnover's an Americanism for sales, really. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it dep- I don't think there is a definition within the accounts as to what you have to call it. Some people call it turnover, some people call it sales. Sales, sales pre-VAT, I, without VAT added, okay, because the VAT is not yours. Yeah. So if I sell you something for £100 and my services and for £100 mm-hmm. and I charge you VAT, so that's therefore £120, you pay me £120 and I have to give £20 of that revenue back that, to HMR, so back to the, to the Batman. So, um, so my sale is really just a hundred pounds. So that is what that is what turnover is, or that is what sales is, mm-hmm. and it could be based on an hourly rate. It could be based on the number of units that you serve. It could be a fixed fee. It could yeah. be whatever it is. But that's and that's always at the top. Okay, just because <laughs> because <laughs> this you, is where you're starting. You, from. you deduct. I don't yeah. know why I'm, dr- I'm doing pictures. This is here. what you've got. Yeah, and this yeah. is what you're left with. Yeah. You know, you mentioned there about VAT. Um, what what about it? Like, when does it come in? When should a, when should a business consider registering now? Um, and I'll speak from a personal experience because um, my startup back in Belfast, um, Kim and I, my uh, business partner, we anticipated that we would be exceeding um, sales um, beyond eighty thousand mm-hmm. after our second year. So we just registered for VAT straight away because we thought, well, we'll introduce it from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Customers will be used to it. Um, we'll pay the, we'll, we'll just immediately transact on that basis. Um, but I look back now and I think that that was probably a mistake. It's a tricky one. I, I mean, I'm not a VAT expert, but I, I know people who do both. They, they mm-hmm. wait till they get to, it's now 85 grand. Um, yeah. They wait until they have, you, you've got, there, there are some legal definitions as to if you anticipate that you're going to be doing over that amount, then you should register for VAT. Because in that way, both will you charge VAT, which is for some, depends who you're selling to. Mm. If you're business to business, then generally it doesn't matter because that business, the VAT that you charge company B, they'll be able to recover as input VAT. Yeah. Whereas, um, and and that's not a problem. The the danger, the more difficult thing is when you domestic domestic consumers, because you can't recover VAT as a consumer, unfortunately. Yeah. So... 
I, I, I don't think what you did was a bad thing at all. I think you get people used to it. And uh, was you, uh, it depends whether you bus- was it business to business. Or did you it was feel blended. you lost We sale? had business customers and we had personal yeah. uh, customers. And I think that was why we made the decision to do it, is that we wanted to condition the business and the customers regardless that that would be part yeah. of it. And we didn't. We felt that we may lose customers if we then start, started St- suddenly I agree. after 18 months started, uh, charging an extra 20% and yeah. having to explain it. So we've talked about um, sales before VAT mm. and we've talked a little bit about uh, turnover. What about gross margin? I feel like I'm just coming out with loads of words now where, you know, they, they seem to bandy about. And this is probably why we all end up giving this all over to the accountants because there's just so much, so much lingo. There's so, many. so we make our money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> knowledge is a great thing. Um, gross margin is, a, is the difference between your sales, your sales less your cost of goods. Okay. Or cost of service. Uh, so again, using analogy, a hundred pounds. Uh, the cost of those baked beans was eighty pounds. So your gross margin is twenty pounds. That's quite a low gross margin, but nevertheless, like twenty pounds. Mm-hmm. So your gross margin percentage, which again is a thing that's commonly talked about, would be twenty percent. Twenty gross margin divided by a hundred, which is your sale. That's what your gross margin percentage is. And, and the reason people look at that is they look at gross margin because obviously the more you sell, the more money you make. Every time you sell a tin of baked beans, you make 20p or 10, yeah. 20 quid or whatever. Um, and therefore, arguably, the more you sell, um, the, the more money you'll make, which is generally true. But th- then you've got to look at the cost of, those cost of goods sold um, and if there's variation. So I don't know where baked beans come from, but let's just say they come from America mm-hmm. and, and the dollar and the pound change in value, etc. Okay, then it yeah. could be your cost of goods sold isn't uh, 80p, it's now 90p and you're making even less money. So that's why margin control or trying to improve your margin, be that either the way to increase margin is either to increase your sales value or to decrease your cost of the cost of the item. Yeah. Um, so that's why margin control is really important. Um, because you can influence that. You you determine your price. Yeah. You determine, well, you buy what you it is. You decide where you're going to buy it from. Where you're going to buy it from, et cetera. So it could be you change supplier, in mm-hmm. which case you get a better price. Or it could be that you then move into different customers where you're at, where price is not such an issue. I mean, all the, we're using baked beans analysis, but if it's a service, you might move to higher-ranking customers right, who are, where price is not the only issue and quality is maybe yeah. a better issue. Service and experience. Exactly. So people yeah, will pay value. more for yeah. that. Now, the cost of sale does vary quite a bit between someone that's selling a product yep. um, and someone that's selling a, a service. And if we think about it in the... We take it away from baked beans for a minute and we take it into the tech space right. for a second. Um, <laughs> someone that's um, selling, for example... Um, you know, microchips or, you know, some latest um, technical gadget where they, they physically had to produce something um, can also be the same as someone that's um, building software, which is also mm. a, a product um, versus IT consultancy, someone that's um, advising and, and providing guidance yeah. um, on what products that they should buy. Um, why There is a cost difference. How is that? How does it differ? I When I'm helping people... <clears throat> This way, I, I think your cost of goods or your gross margin should should be your sales less. Those costs directly related to whatever it is you are selling, be that a service, so be that consultancy, or be that a product. And one of the difficult, one of the things you mentioned there was some software. The, the problem with how do you how do you charge out software? Because is it all the costs that you've ever had? Um, you can't charge the first customer all the costs you've ever had because that's how much it costs you to do it, but no one would buy it. So then you've got to say, well, how many, then you're going to think, well, yeah, how many are going to sell? Yeah, they're going to go with the SaaS model. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you've yeah. got to spread that out, the cost of it, over how long you think that software's going to be. So that's not an easy thing to do. I think from a gross margin point of view, the, the costs that you should charge to there are the costs directly related to the, to the cost of those services that you are providing, be that a service or be that a good. And it will vary depending on what it is your mm. service is. And is it you as an individual? I mean, uh, is it, is it, have or you got a, person, a team or, yeah. person or a person? Are you sending an engineer out somewhere? What, it, what are his or her costs? Yeah. Therefore, you, you'll have a charge-out rate, which is generally greater than what you pay them. Well, obvi- well obviously, obviously greater than yeah. what you pay them because you want to make a profit. So, so I'm help- these guys who collect waste charge a collection fee which is based on an hourly rate 
which is greater than the cost of the guys collecting their waste. Yeah. And then they obviously charge to process that. Or and they charge and they do disposal costs, again, yeah. which they make a margin on. So when people talk about profit, there's gross profit yep. and then there's net, yep. net profit. Yep. Um, could you explain the difference between the two and what you should be aware of with regards to okay. tax? And- um, right. So gross profit is generally that the, the sale less the direct cost of that sale, be, mm-hmm. they, be that a good or a service. That gives you gross margin or gross profit. Then you've got to take off all your other costs. So generally called overheads, but not always. Sometimes it's called administration expenses. It, it depends. And do depends you wanna, what you do. Could you elaborate on what, what overheads this, could be? What what those overheads could be? Yeah. So you've got so um, so typically, if if you have a place of work, you will have rent, you will have rates, you will have heat, light, and power, you will have internet charges, telephone charges, be that at landline or mobile. You will have marketing expenses. You will have insurance, mm-hmm. which is, again, something to people uh, forget. But you've got things like public liability insurance that you have, yep. to, you have to pay. Professional indemnity. Professional indemnity insurance services. if you're providing the service, yeah. Lots of different insurances, actually. Um, if, you're, if you've got people out on the road, you will have motor insurances. Mm-hmm. Cyber insurance, director's insurance. Should, uh, yeah. <laughs> the list we should be in insurance. And then you've got uh, things I'm trying to think. I'm desperate trying to think of someone's uh, uh, P&L, that I, but profit and loss account that I'm, I'm working on at the minute. Lower down, you've got things like depreciation, which I'm sure we will come to because it's such a great thing, depreciation. Let's touch upon it now. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I do, I, you know, I do think that depreciation and amortization as well are two yeah. very big words yeah. which we should um, break down and right. sort of okay. demystify. Right, okay. And it's quite interesting the difference between the two. Um, depreciation is the allocation of the cost of an asset that lasts longer than a year to the correct accounting period. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that really mean? So let's just say we're making baked beans. Just say we will have a massive oven and some vats, vats of tomato, huge metal vats of tomato sauce, and huge ovens that we bake baked beans in. Those, let's just say those, um, the oven and the vat cost twenty four thousand pounds to buy. If you, if you paid the supplier twenty four thousand pounds you would not put that as a direct cost into your profit and loss account because the not just the likelihood but the you would hope that those that that oven and that vat lasted longer than the first accounting period the first month you would hope that vat and that oven would last for oh i don't know 3 ten, years 5 yeah. years 10 years whatever yeah yeah and why is that a, a- a useful thing to do when you're investing in sort of high-level assets like that? Why wouldn't you just put it on your first Because it doesn't really reflect the... There is a thing in um, accounting called the matching concept, whereby you match the income with the costs associated with that income. And the cost associated with making that first vat of... uh, first delivery of beans is not £24,000. It is a share of that twenty four grand, and let's just say it lasts only two years, only because to make the maths easy then you would charge £2,000 in that yeah. first... No, you, yes. you charge £1,000, I'm sorry. £1,000 in that first year. I 24000 divided by 24 months okay, is yeah. £1,000, yeah. so you charge £1,000. So it's, it's, a, it's not... It, you, you try and spread the cost of the, of the uh, thing that you've bought over the life of that asset. Whereas if you pay rent, you pay rent for a month, that it lasts a month, and that's it. As soon as you've paid that rent for a month, you then have to pay... Again, Again, for that rent. Yeah. Or if you pay insurance for a month, you're going to have to pay insurance. The, the thing you're paying for only lasts for the time period of which the, the, that accounting period. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pay your mobile phone bill, it yeah. is, it's just a month. It's not for 24 months. Therefore, the thing that you've just bought, in this case, the oven, lasts for 24 months. So you should spread the cost of that across your profit and loss account for 24 months. If so that's the time period, I mean, yeah. depreciation... It's a good accounting practice. That is good it's and it's correct. It's expected to be seen. It is correct. HMRC like it. Yes, and in fact, HMRC would not really want you to... Well, without getting into too much detail, but um, people used to manipulate accounts by changing the depreciation, rate, depreciation rates. Um, all depreciation is added back for tax purposes and you get things called 
balancing allowances and um, chargeable allowances. It's a tax. That, it's to stop people manipulating depreciation rates so they pay less or more tax, well, less tax. Um, but from an accounting point of view, it's just, it just gives you a much better uh, view of what your accounts are because you don't want a huge uh, a profit in... If you sell 20,000 tins of baked beans in month one and two, but you've charged all that uh, oven in month one, that, it'll show yeah. you probably In real a life, loss. you had to find the 24,000 yeah. yeah. because yeah. you wouldn't have been able to probably mm. buy unless they've given you credit yeah. terms. Yeah. But in, from an accounting point of view, Anna... Yeah, from an accounting point of view, you'd probably show a loss in month one and a huge profit in month two. Well, that's not really reflective of what's happened. You've sold the same tins of beans in each month, yeah. but, but you, you're just... It's not correct. So it's, it's not, good for sustainable business. It is. It, well, it, it just gives you a more accurate reflection of mm. what of what your business is doing. What I would say is that if that oven breaks and is out of warranty, say, then you should write off that asset as soon as you know that it's not going to give you any value going forwards. So let it hit the... Yeah, hit the P&L yeah. in in, as soon as you know that it has no more value left to mm. you because you, you can't derive any more value. You'd have to buy a new oven. And, and then, start again. And start again. And what about amortisation then? Amortisation is just a different word for intellectual property. So okay. That's it, right. So you've got fixed assets that are physical and you can touch them. Yes, and like, like ovens. Ovens, yeah. cars, um, CNC machines, etc. that sort of thing. Then you've got fixed assets that are um, ephemeral. Uh, you can't touch them. So things like intellectual property. Yep. Uh, patents, yeah, uh, sort of brand, yeah. yeah, brand trademarks, etc. Yeah. So you can't touch, feel, and whatever. But you, you write them. You, you, they are still an asset, and they have a life. Generally speaking, you hope they have a life. So you hope your intellectual property keeps you keeps has a value over a x period of time. Same with patents. Same with brands. If you yeah. buy a company, say you bought a company that had a brand, you'd, you'd have to pay for that brand. Yeah. So if somebody bought Mars Bar, they'd have to pay a lot effectively, for the brand Mars, or Coke, as mm. an even better example. So you w- wouldn't write that off straight away. You, that would hopefully last for many, many years. So would that appear on your revenue side or your... It's a cost. You would pay for the patent, say. Yeah. Let's just say the patent's 20 grand again. Yeah. Um, and you would write that over, over the period over which you thought that patent would give you, derive you value. Because okay. sooner or later, that patent... It's potentially it's going to yeah. well it does expire and also people will find another clever way a cleverer way of doing it than you did mm. so therefore it would cease to have value and patents I'm not I'm, I'm not a patent expert but mm. um, that I don't know I would have thought five years it depends again it depends what you're making yeah uh, what your patent is over we had uh, an interesting chat with Ian Sturt from the intellectual property yeah. office a few weeks ago, and he talked about how 80% of a company's value is now actually wrapped up in intellectual property, um, whereas I think it's almost like the, the rule reversal of what how businesses yeah. were measured 20 years ago. So it is those intangible and um, ethereal um, assets which have value, and um, it's we talked a little bit about cost. You know, it's not just about the cost of having those um, intangible assets because it's really an investment. Yeah. Like anything, like the oven, yeah. it's an investment. It's exactly the, it's exactly the same thing. You to just grow and scale the yeah. business. Yeah. Common mistakes when it comes to uh, cash flow. Let's actually clarify cash flow. Oh, okay. Because that's I? really the crux of, of businesses and it can kill businesses. Yep. Um, tell us a bit about um, cash flow and some of the most common mistakes that you've seen okay. that people should avoid? I think what, I think the most common mistake is people don't look at cash flow. <laughs> they just look at sales. They just look... They just, okay. You talk to me, how's your business going? They say, oh, I sold 20 grand last month, I sold 30 grand last month, or whatever whatever the figure mm. is. They don't say, well, my, my bank balance went up by 50,000. They, because they, deep down, they probably don't know. Um, so, so that's the most common problem. People don't look at cash flow like they should. Really good people do. And I, I, again, I've got... A, business i'm working with at the minute and they're they're fixated with cash flow they look at it every day they look mm. at it during the day they they're, they're, they're <laughs> arguably a little bit too obsessive obsessive would be the would be the case but nevertheless they're they're they they know their numbers and they know the implication they're, if anything to be honest they're arguably a little bit conservative this is a really good business and they they, they do really well they could do even better if they spent a bit more money but they're so tied up with cash flow that they they don't that's interesting. interesting. Sort of, you touched upon sort of that risk-taking yeah. aspect of business. 
Um, what is the sort of the ideal sort the, of business persona in that space? I think it's, da- it's down to the owners. I mean, these guys have owned this business for about 15 years and they've just, they built it up, they left the business, mm. they set up from scratch. They put, I think from memory, about between 10 and 15 grand each. So they're putting about 60,000 pounds. Yeah. They have no bank overdraft. They have no loans. They had a bank overdraft once because they not in too much detail about what they do, but um, they, um, they they were they thought they might be a little bit tight. It was a it was a, again a massive sale, and they had to fund that for a while, and they weren't sure we were going to get paid, so they took mm. out a temporary overdraft. That's now lapsed. Um, they probably didn't like that. They didn't. Either. They hated it. Yeah, but that's down yeah. to percent. I did, to me, you know, I don't say to people you, I, like these guys, you don't say you should take risks because mm. it's not in their persona. They'd hate it. They, they would. Be, I mean, they're worried now, but they'd worry even more. They they would hate to have a loan. Um, or, or any sort, of, well, yeah, any yeah. sort of debt finance. They decide what speed they grow at. Exactly. And not these guys turn over five million quid and spent last year a thousand pounds on advertising. That's so that people just come to. Well, maybe get them in for a podcast. <laughs> Find out. Thousand pounds on advertising, and that's only because someone said you ought to do some mm. SEO type stuff. Do you think the if you use that example? Do you think there's a difference between companies and, and there's a, or a correlation between risk? Um, companies that are self-funded that have taken the hard road and those that take on investment and are actually playing with other people's money? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Whether a, debt or equity, or yeah. is, there a, is there a further difference between debt funding where you are still taking on the debt, mm. so essentially you're kind of still self-funding um, versus taking equity funding? I think, this, I think that's probably true. There is an element. I, it's hard to generalise in, in, in to a certain mm. extent because everybody's different. But I have some guys, um, the flooring company, he's got quite a lot of... The, the one that went out of business when, mm-hmm. when a large uh, customer went bust, he, he's been very nervous about taking on any debt funding, but now he has. And interestingly enough, his business has just grown and grown and grown. He's, I think he was very nervous about going bankrupt again. Yeah. He, he had no one. Well, first imagine. of all, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't borrow for ages yeah. um, because he had been a bank. He had been personally bankrupt as well as the company went into administra- uh, company went into liquidation. Yeah, and he personally was bankrupt because of he personally guaranteed the debts. So he took it really, really slowly. But the more he's got into it, the more debt he's taken on. But his business, but, but interesting enough, his business is is being almost doubling every year. But then we get into the case: well, is that overtrading? You know, he's, yeah. he, at the minute is he's he doing him? okay. You know, he's doing all right. Yeah. But nevertheless, it, it, it's a constant struggle. He's in the construction industry, so that's a notoriously bad industry to be in. He's got to keep growing. I think, and I think that's the point. It depends what industry you're in, the risk side. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, construction is, is known for poor payments, for, for late payments, and then for, unfortunately, for people like Carillion who, who no payments. Yeah, I think that's the sad thing about is that pestle analysis that you need to do in your business, isn't it? Mm. Which you know, looking at those external forces, things that are outside your control. But it's so sad to see when any company goes bust, but when they take other people yeah. down with them, that ripple effect that that has because they've they've had whatever troubles they've had, whether that's irresponsible or, you know, it just outside their control as well, regardless of the circumstances that they, you know, it's like a domino effect. And the guy, the guy who, um, who, whose business went bust, um, when he sets up again, Will only trade with people where he can get what's called credit insurance. Mm-hmm. So you can you can insure your your your, your yeah. risk, and he and, and that means that his his going back to margin now his margin is reduced on every sale because yeah. effectively there's a percentage that he has to pay as an insurance. But, but he, he he will never do it. He will never sell to anybody if he cannot get credit insurance. Good on him. Whoever yeah. he is, good on you. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever you are. Whoever you are. <laughs> He's obviously taken a very, uh, I would say, somewhat cautious in some ways, but a, you know, a very sort of uh, sort of gradual approach mm-hmm. to balancing his books. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everybody can do that. But I do like that sort of advice on the credit insurance. But what would be your sort of bookkeeping tips on how to balance your books and get that sort of balance that you mentioned from the earlier example? It's such a difficult thing. I, I, did you well, say that debtors' day was fifty two and the creditors' day was fifty three? That just happens to be the. I mean that. You know it, what's the ID? Well, you know? well, in that particular case, that this particular client is the one that takes away waste, and mm-hmm. were you not to take away that waste, you, the establishment where they take it from would smell, and therefore there is a, a sort of imperative that that they do pay the 
Mm. My my clients for the services they yeah. they offer, but I suppose theoretically they could go somewhere else. But yeah. but but whereas if, if you we if, take it into a tech example, you know, yeah. if somebody was using someone's software, yeah. well, you could just turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah, yeah. I think that's got a lot. There are a lot of industries now where it's a lot easier to get your money because of for that IoT. reason. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you can you can do that. So I think knowing your knowing your knowing your customer base is probably the the really important thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I've thought about this before, but that's what I would say now. Know your customer base, who your customers are, talk to your customers a lot. And know and to be honest, know the impact that your product has on that customer base. And how much who needs who most, mm-hmm. basically. Because if they need you more, then it's 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 great. If you need them more I'm not saying don't sell to them because clearly everybody wants to sell at a at a margin, but you just have to factor in the fact that they may not. Are they notoriously bad payers? Yeah. Um, do some research. I mean, you can get reports on companies on like I don't know whether Dun and Bradstreet still do reports, but you can certainly get reports on. on <laughs> We're people. both from the olden days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm getting old, um, but yeah, but you can get reports on on, on people. But even then, that's not enough. And yeah, I suppose you'd always think, well, they used to deal with company X and now they've come to me. Why have they come to me? Have mm-hmm. they upset company? Will they not trade with them anymore? Have they, have they um, put a stop on them? There's another old phrase. Yeah. You put a stop on an account. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier there about the intangible assets and patents and rather than seeing them as a cost, but seeing them as an investment. Yep. Um, people talk about return on investment so whether that's a patent or an oven or yeah. you know software or whatever it might be what is that and how do people measure it um well ultimately i suppose it's 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 based on the amount of money you put into a business versus what profit you make from that business mm. and if and i suppose if it's, it's like investing is in it a bank right down to that and that, like do you look at return on investment on a particular asset or is it a, a more overall i think that's hard i think it's hard. i mean it's impossible to I, I would i would i, would, I spend, if you're a one product <laughs> if you're a one product company yeah. then that's not so and you've and you've and you've got one oven etc then that, that's, yeah. that's fine but you tend to talk about return on investment on the amount of money you put into a business versus the amount of money you get out of that business so very much like putting the money into a building society you return mm-hmm. on your it's next to nothing yeah. quarter of a percent whereas if you put that same 20 grand into a business what are you going to get out and there's two ways you get that out you get it out either as a as a, as a dividend uh, so i and I know we touched on dividends before, but a dividend is a share of profits that are paid out to the owners of the business. And I say owners, that's people Mm. who own shares in that business. That's what a dividend is. So it's a distribution of profits. So that's a little bit like an interest rate in a bank or a building society or whatever is is a little bit like a dividend. Um, But a dividend doesn't have to be paid, whereas an interest rate has to be paid in a building. building. If you put it in, you get your half a percent. Whereas it, you might not make any profits, so therefore you don't get any dividends. Yeah. Um, so, but, but the more profits you make, the greater return you make, you will make because you will get more dividends, and ultimately your business will be valued more because businesses tend to be valued on a, a multiple of their profit. So, I'll give an example. If this okay? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, say your business makes a hundred thousand pounds a year. And you want to sell that business. The question is, how much is that business worth? And it's difficult to say how much a business is worth because it's a, a, a factor of so many things. But a typical thing is to get is to it's normally an adjusted element of that profit. A thing called EBITDA, yeah, which we'll we're going to we're going to talk about that. Times a multiple, and that multiple is is based on so many things. It's based on how long the business has been going, how big the business is, the the team. That's in that business. I, for instance, if it's your, if it's my, say my business and I say my business, but I am my business, so, and I'm leaving it, then it's, it has no worth. Yeah. Um, the competition, the market, all sorts of different yeah. things go to that multiple. It's notorious, isn't it, when you know companies are trying to raise yeah. capital, whether that's through debt funding by, and um, we probably should explain those in a bit more detail, versus or equity funding, yeah, because there's. There's an argument um, normally between both parties as to how much the company is oh. worth, and it does ultimately come down to the accountants to decide that, doesn't it? I, I, I always, you know, people say it's down to how much people are prepared to pay for it, isn't mm. it? It's just like a house. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's the same sort of thing. I think it's worth X. You think it's worth Y. You justify yours. I justify mine. Mm. And I, I mean, I, I'm also involved in selling businesses as well. That's another thing I do. So um, just in some negotiations at the minute with on this exact point about yeah. how much is this business really worth? And we've got these guys have got a profit of about 1.2 million 
and mm-hmm. we were trying to sell it for five times uh, that multiple, five times that that figure plus what's called the free cash. The, the, there will be cash left in the business, so um, that's how we're. The, and it's going to be close to seven million quid okay. if we get. But we haven't sold it yet. But they'll they, they'll counter that. With... Well, they'll counter that and say, ah, "Well, is it really a million quid? And what what, what else have we yeah. got here? And is it worth five or four? Is it worth five million, five times earnings, or four times? Earnings? Why is it worth four, five times? Yeah, I mean that. Mm. But that's negotiation, isn't it? That's yeah. and that's what's the fun part. That's the creative part. That's, that's the creative part. Yeah. So let's um, uh, clarify EBITDA. Yeah, EBITDA stands for earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. So the things that we're talking about at the end, depreciation, mm-hmm. amortization, tax and interest, so interest on any borrowings. And the reason it's done, it's, it's trying to get a level playing field whereby you can assess companies. That's re- it's really a comparison. It has no accounting implication whatsoever. It's mm. just a measurement. Because if you finance your company with debt, all, or debt as in where you have to pay money back plus interest, then interest will be a deduction. Whereas if, you've, if, if all your finance of your company was through equity, i.e. which doesn't have a profit and loss implication, then your profit will be different. And, but the underlying business could be exactly the same. And it's therefore, it's EBITDA and, and, and also depreciation yeah. and amortization a little bit the Less same. In the, compare yeah, in it's, the it's, it's, a, it's a valid, it's a valid comparison. It's, it's an attempt to get a valid comparison. Say, you, particularly if you're doing two companies, yeah. how, how do I compare company X against company B? Uh, company X, company Y? All right, <laughs> company B, I don't mind. Um, then it, it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's to try and bring something back to something that you can compare yeah. reasonably. So it's like comparing UK Fast to Rackspace in terms of exactly. profitability or exactly. whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and even, in some respects, comparing it to a completely different company in a completely different industry. You know, you could you could do that because EBITDA is such a it's mm. it's meant to be like a universal measure, but it's a little bit like the APR. It's trying to bring things the the, the way the, the annual percentage rate, uh, whatever. But yeah. no one understands that, and and to be fair, not a lot of people understand EBITDA. <laughs> and I, I I don't know. It, it's still it, it's a measure that is used particularly when you're trying to value a business. Um, but it doesn't have a particular accounting implication. It mm. is just another. It's like. Is Def- it something that, you know, earlier stage companies need to worry about at this stage? I you know, you know. Yeah, I, to be honest. It's, is it more of an exit? Sort it's of more of an exit thing. Or yeah. raising kind and, of. And I think you should so look at it. if you're self-funding and growing <coughs> and you're at the very earlier stages, it's really back to money coming in, money coming out. Exactly. Or anticipated. And I think, I think what I'm thinking about when I'm talking to you about all of this, Graham, is that I feel like it's a very, uh, we're talking about companies in a very traditional sense, but we've got, I'm mindful of the fact that tech companies aren't very traditional and that it could be a very different sort of business model or anticipated loss making mm-hmm. P&L sheet for a much longer time. But it's about planning for that, isn't it? Um, rather yeah. than, um, you know, trying to prevent that from happening. I think it's just about planning and knowing. I th- yeah, I think as long as you, as you, if you can anticipate that and the people behind funding that business, believe in it, yeah. then that, that's okay. Huge numbers of businesses are loss-making these days. Amazon uh, was. <laughs> in the beginning. The biggest company in the world. But, but ultimately, the, you know, if, if you believe in, enough in it, then it will turn around. Yeah. Um, and ultimately your product will create greater revenue than the expenses at which you've spent. As long as the cash flow seems... As, as long as you don't run out of cash in the meantime, yeah. yeah. I think we've seen sort of a few examples of that in Manchester where we've seen some exciting startups and uh, tech companies yep. fall foul of that, that issue. Yeah. Okay, so um, I think this conversation, uh, you know, even now with as much experience that I have, I, it's, it's a challenge for me to, to have this conversation with you and keep on top of everything that you've described. But hopefully we've, we've broken down a little bit of um, what um, startups and entrepreneurs should be looking at when they're getting their, their, their accounts um, off the ground for the first time. But just to wrap up, if you had to pick out sort of a few things that really they need to think about, um, what are the most important things that they need to remember when they're creating that P&L and approaching it right. for the first time? Things I would suggest, do your accounts monthly. I think that's a minimum. You yeah. should do your accounts monthly because I just think Regardless you of what they say. Around it, regardless except that it's going to show yeah, a loss. Yeah, yeah, and just fine. know what. At least you know where yeah. you are. Um, 
look, cash flow is more important than profit. So don't be um, all starry-eyed about, I've sold this, I've sold that, whatever. Um, mm. Cash flow is way more important than profit. Um, and what would be the third thing? I suppose I, I think about knowing your customers. It's come up in this conversation, knowing your customers, because mm. I think if you know your customers and what they want, that ultimately will lead you to provide a better service or better product, whatever it, whatever it is you do. And that should then translate into, into a profit. Um, I, I, but you've got to know your numbers. And people talk a lot about KPIs, um, yeah. key performance indicators. I think knowing your key... Yeah, probably that's the third one. Know your key performance indicators. What is it that really drives your business? So some key performance indicators would be things like conversion stats, on, particularly on internet, and on internet advertising and... Uh, I know there are a lot of people who look at a lot of their conversion stats, and I'm getting this percentage, I'm getting that percentage mm-hmm. of of people looking. Of, yeah, people looking at my website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of people look at websites, but it's conversion into sales that actually matters. And and there's an awful lot of not doing that. I think that that, that they think um, customer base, but customer base that don't buy are just a customer base that don't buy. They're just people who used to buy. Yeah. So things like that are, are really important. Who are your key customers? Are you making money on your key customers? Again, I know a client who thought they were doing really well with this major... This customer was 60% of their business. And they couldn't believe they were, uh, that, that they could survive without them. Mm-hmm. And the, the customer gave notice um, and took 60% of the way, business away. We've done an analysis of what, what the profitability will be post that. And it, is, it isn't making quite as much money, but it's making chunky money mm. with, even without them they, they wouldn't say they were a loss leader but they they both the, the margin was very very low yeah and also they caused no end of problems there was people working in that business just to service that customer yeah. because they were difficult in inverted commas and so the actual profitability if you can do profitability by customer that's quite a good measure i think mm. i think that it's those big customers that are they do seem attractive but you do pay a price you do pay a price yeah that's been a really interesting um, overview, Graham. And I know we've just peppered you with questions, and I'm sure there's probably at least a few more hours um, of mm. conversation around this very sort of witty topic. Um, you're going to be actually taking a, a face-to-face workshop for us shortly downstairs yep. for the for the Tech Manchester program. Um, so if you want to know more about this, keep an eye out on the Tech Manchester TV uh, channel on YouTube and you'll be able to pick up the rest of, of Graham's talk and discussion today. Um, but for now, we hope that it's answered some of your accounting conundrums and that you'll get a better night's sleep. Thank you. 